Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode is primarily about the seven-day job I did on a Marvel production recently and what I learned from that experience. Do you know what a ghost pass is? How about a clean plate? Or what it's like to dance, to know music, or to music that won't actually be in the scene? How does inclement weather impact production here in the South? Do you know how really talented PAs can provide support and emotional positivity to your experience? What happens when you're fighting over HVAC because you want it keeping you cooler than your neighbors? What do you do when you've been forgotten in a scene where you think you are really, really, really important, but you're actually not because they filmed it without you? How has COVID changed your access to crafty food? And finally, did you know the COVID Delta variant is taking some productions a year backward as they return to sequestering to ensure the safety of all? I'll get started after the break. It's Saturday, August 14th, 2021. I just finished the first five of seven days on a project filming an hour south of my home. I booked this a while back, just before my Cape Cod vacation, and assumed I wouldn't get picked, but I did. Although I like the fact that it's a lot of work compressed into a short time frame, it's taking a toll on me. If I assume I work one to two days a week, that's four to eight times per month, which means this is all of that compressed into nine consecutive days. The hours and call times are not crazy, but 12 hours plus the combined two-hour commute each day amounts to 14-hour days. And I really need this weekend to recover. I'm not getting up that early, just 30 to 60 minutes earlier than normal, but the cumulative effect of all of this has made me a zombie today. Here's my warning. Before you commit to something like this, get as much information as you can up front. If you hate a one-day job, it's not a big deal. You just never work that show again. But if, on day one, you hate your seven-day job, you're stuck dealing with it or deciding whether you'll actually go back the next day. There were rumors swarming on the first day that Thursday and Friday were going to be overnights, so I got really concerned because I don't do those. We kept hearing this from different sources and finally cornered a PA who is best friends with one of my background friends working this show, and he said no. But before that happened, we decided that I should call Central Casting and give them a heads up that people were talking and that they might have a big problem on their hands. This was Wednesday. We are not allowed to have phones on set, but someone snuck one in, so I borrowed it, went to the restroom, and made the call. Something was wrong with the phone or the connection because I could barely hear the woman on the other end. The casting director wasn't available, so I left her a message to convey to them. I thought it was my duty to let them know now so that when they sent out the call time email at 8 p.m., they'd know what to expect. It was a big false alarm. The night shoots never materialized, and since I called from someone else's phone and never gave my name, they have no idea who the lunatic was that was making a big fuss about absolutely nothing. Knowing people on the job or making new friends quickly makes all the difference in the world. My friend Catherine, whom I had met on Black Adam, was there, and we quickly picked up where we had left off. She just went under contract on the condo she's selling, and she had lots to tell me about that. She felt bad that she hadn't hired me to sell it, but it was my fault for never telling her I was an agent. 
Nonetheless, I gave her tons of free advice that she really appreciated, things her agent had not told her. The transitive property of friendship led me to hanging out with her friend Nanette, who came along with Brandon and Mimi, and then Becky became part of our group as well. It turned out she is a fellow Keller Williams agent from a different office, so we had lots to talk about on that subject. She and her husband are downsizing and trying to determine whether to rent first before buying, as well as what part of town to live in. She's actually from Rhode Island, where I used to go to the beach every weekend growing up. One more word on the collective power of the background people. Most of us are not in a union. We tend to think we're powerless, but that's not true. If word gets out that a show is horrible to work on because there's no food or bad food or insane call times or bad PAs or unannounced night shoots, people will not sign up for that. There are Facebook groups we use to talk about stuff like this, and it's brutally honest and open for information sharing. As a result, casting companies then have difficulty finding people, and then the show suffers, which is why I called Central Casting about the alleged night shoots. If people complain, they do listen and try to make things better, lest word gets out that the conditions are horrible and people start to drop like flies. Once again, lightning and thunder and storms impacted our filming. On Tuesday, we wrapped probably an hour early due to incoming storms. On Wednesday, we were loaded onto people movers around 3.45 for about 90 minutes just waiting. When there's a lightning strike, you have to start the clock and wait 30 minutes. And then every time there's another strike, you restart the clock. The goal is to make it through 30 minutes without a strike, which means you're probably okay to resume what you were doing. It was similar to being trapped in an airplane on a tarmac, except we could actually get off and use the bathroom, although the lack of power made these dark and waterless. I still had my prop with me and clumsily spilled my quarter inch of fake whiskey in my highball glass all over my suit, but it eventually evaporated without leaving a stain. The next day, when I tried to return it, a jokester named Travis told me I actually had to take it home with me and bring it back. Oh, these crew, as if I were some gullible newbie that might actually fall for that. I should have thrown the drink in his face. Let me just say that the heat in August sun is a million times worse than June. I was particularly uncomfortable wearing a wool suit out there, so I took my jacket off one day to discover my entire dress shirt was soaked with sweat. Not dripping, but clearly wet. That took another hour or so to evaporate off of me. Although I had spent 90 minutes at my fitting with Eric the week before, I arrived to find my burgundy bass, Weijin penny loafers, and matching belt missing, so they gave me black ones instead. And boy was I lucky. These are the most comfortable dress shoes I've ever worn, and that makes a huge difference. However, after 12 hours, my feet were still a bit tired and sore and full of black sock lint. Ironically, on Friday, I noticed that the director herself was wearing burgundy passwich and penny loafers. I wonder if she stole mine. The PAs on this project deserve mention. The head woman, whom I'll call Winter, which is not a real name, but that's also seasonal, was one of the best I've ever seen. She is the perfect mix of bossy leadership balanced with unconditional love for all of us. She referred to us as friends and was continuously telling us how much she appreciated that we were listening to her and keeping very, very quiet. One day her voice was totally shot, so she had a piece of tape across her shirt saying something like, no voice, thank you. 
She made the male PAs below her look relatively wimpy by comparison. On our last day this week, I think I'm going to hand her a thank you card and tell her she's a rock star because she is. I have danced before, but on this job, it was my full-time job. I let Winter know at one point when she was asking for volunteers that I'd be happy to dance, and she promised she'd consider finding an opportunity for me to, quote, cut a rug, unquote. And she did. 75% of my scenes are on the dance floor. Here's what I learned. They play a song for about 15 seconds to get you all ready to dance, so you start dancing to this. But then they cut the sound, so you have to play the song in your head while continuing to dance. However, I believe when they finish the product, they add a different song to the movie or show. So the people dancing are not actually dancing to whatever you're hearing which probably explains why everyone on the screen looks like they don't know how to dance. In our case, they played this classic song from Animal House that has a part where people start twisting and lowering themselves until they're almost on the floor. So people were doing that, and I'm thinking, that makes no sense. Number one, we are not all doing that. And number two, that only works for this song, and this is probably not the song that's going to end up in this scene. Oh well. My second dance partner and I did get the opportunity to do a cross, which means we danced from the dining area to the dance floor when our favorite song came on. The DJ was hilarious, a cross between Willy Wonka and a stoned magician. The way he talked was so trippy that I couldn't tell if this was really him or just his acting. I guess he's a real actor because he did have a few lines. Mimi is one of the new friends I made. She's 27 and loves Pride and Prejudice. She was reading the book on and off, and on Tuesday, while we were camping out outside in the back, she pulled out her laptop and started playing the movie so we could all watch. But then we got called to set, everyone but her. Two hours later, we came back. The movie was no longer playing. She had taken a nap and was back with the book. Mimi's a master at getting undressed in public so that she's already changed out of her wardrobe even before we get on the bus to head back to holding to check out. She sometimes slides on her tights and slinks out of her dress after throwing a shirt over it. Like those people who put on their bathing suits on the beach by wrapping a towel around themselves and somehow sliding it on without exposing their junk. Well, a funny thing happened on Friday. She hadn't been used all day. Winner suggested we might be wrapped by 7 p.m. So, sitting in holdy, Mimi was getting ready to leave. She had pulled her hair up and pulled her tights on, although she was still wearing her dress and not a t-shirt. At 7.15, a PA comes in to get more people and asks if she'd been used today. She mumbled something about being on the back patio, but he still decided to take her to set. She was flabbergasted, but it was hilarious. She had to take her hair down and pull those tights off and walk through the dusty gravel to set. 15 minutes later, as we're pulling out on our bus to check out, we see 15 to 20 of the rest of us being led inside the set and heave a collective, ugh, as we feel for them. I know the day we wrapped at 5 that others were there until 7.30, but I have no idea how late they were there last night. I'll find out next week. Speaking of gravel, there are two kinds of gravel, a little tiny gravel that you can easily walk on. 
and ginormous four-inch gravel that you can't walk on. Well, the closer we got to holding, the bigger the gravel got. These poor women in heels had a heck of a time, which is why most of them bring, quote, comfort shoes, unquote, to wear while transporting themselves. All these dusty, dirty paths we had to wade through left my shoes dirty most of the time. Our makeup guy kept handing us little folded paper towels to wipe our sweaty brows, but I instead used mine to shine my shoes. Not that they were filming my feet, but who wears dirty, dusty shoes to their son's wedding? Not me. Have you ever had that feeling that something's missing? Yes, we all know that feeling, but would you expect an entire film crew to not have it when they should? I've never been forgotten in holding when I was supposed to be in a scene, but it happened. On day two, this friendly woman led us to holding, which was a huge barn-like structure, but she said there was additional seating outside behind it in the back. We asked her, you won't forget about us back here, right? She nodded no, but it turns out that was a lie. We were forgotten. An hour later, one of us wandered into the building and discovered that everyone was gone. We all rushed over to the set and watched as the wedding guests arrived and were being seated outside. We rounded up a PA, but it was too late for us to get into the scene. So for all subsequent shooting of this, we had to continue to be left out. We specifically heard Winter on her walkie-talkie asking someone, how on earth could you forget them? But to his defense, if there are 50 crew involved in filming a scene, how could none of them notice that me, the father of the groom, was missing from the front row? or the grandmother of the bride. Weird, it's not a big deal. I think something else in the plot explains why we had not yet arrived. And it wasn't as if we were at some head table where it was clear who we were. I'm just the father of the groom, but I never interact with him or the bride. Actually, the casting was odd. They had two mothers of the groom and the same on the bride's side. I guess they want to feel out who is a better fit. I had a mom and a dad, Lorraine and Matt who were the groom's grandparents. But on day two, the bride's father was a no-show, so they took my father and made him the father of the bride. The main actress had her dog on set for the week, and it was so cute to see the dog walked out for potty breaks. It made me miss Sugar all that much more. I don't know how I survived last fall being away from her for nine weeks for red notice. By Tuesday of this week, I couldn't wait to see her again and pick up her furry body and bury my nose in the back of her head. Mmm, I've told you how good that smells. Oh, to whip it head. I don't want to have to board her again for three nights next week, but that is the plan. We started each day at background processing in a Baptist church. I'm always interested in seeing what's on the walls of these places. In the entry foyer, among other things, was a small framed list of the Ten Commandments. I haven't seen these or really thought about them since I went to Sunday school as a kid. But as a very observant adult, I noticed one big glaring thing. Why are the second and fourth commandments so long? I mean, visually it looks weird that all the other ones are one-liners, but these two are huge paragraphs. If you really want people to remember all 10, shouldn't they be short and sweet? Who is going to memorize a 20-line paragraph twice? I think for that reason, people just mumble that commandment two is about likeness and not worshiping any other god, while four is about the Sabbath. I honestly don't remember Commandment 2 saying that God is jealous, but that's what this one said. Perhaps the Baptist version is worded differently than what they teach Greek Orthodox kids.
I realized this week that I am once again living vicariously through my background gigs. It's not intentional, but it does create this weird feeling that if I don't experience these things for real, I may only get to do so in the movies. For example, one reason my husband and I split is that he's totally on the fence about having kids, and I definitely want them. So here I am at my son's wedding, pretending to be the father of the groom for 20-something guy who's about to get married. And both of the full families are there. Well, one of my arguments with my ex is that if we don't have kids, we'll never experience this. And there are a million other things we'll never experience as well. Given that I'm pushing 60, it's very odd to interact with adults who are basically young enough to be your children because it makes you naturally feel parental, even though you're not really a parent to them or anyone else. I did get a chance to catch up with the groom, whose name is Juan. He's from Colombia and has that really leather complexion as is part of the stereotype we all have of Colombian drug lords or politicians like Manuel Noriega. I'm not sure if he's actually Colombian, but you get my drift. It was fun watching the wedding party, an interesting interracial mix of younger people interacting as they would in the real world and how during breaks, certain generational cliques would form, clearly because younger people can relate to each other better. But that's not to say people aren't open to mixing with old people like me. In fact, Mimi and Brandon gave Catherine, Nanette, and I a lesson in current slang. The one word I remember is slap, but I forget what it means. Then there was capping, which means something like, you're not serious, as in, are you capping? Which means, are you serious? I hope I got that right. Or hope they're not listening to this and laughing at me. <laughs> I tried to impress them with my own word, thugjurious, which I thought I had invented, but later discovered that it was already in Urban Dictionary. The food was really good on this project. We, the background, got to eat the same crafty as everyone else. And there were all kinds of new treats to try, but most were not keto-friendly. It's very odd when they don't let you touch the food due to COVID. You have to tell the person what you want and they hand it to you in rubber gloves. But that's only at the good crafty. At the crafty table in holding, you can touch everything you want with your hands and feet as many times as you want before someone else takes it and eats it. Since I can't read the nutritional content to see how many carbs there are, I can't really ask them to pick up stuff and read it to me. So I end up getting things that I cannot eat and just bring them home for later. I will then cut them into pieces to snack on over several days or just use them for open house food. The crafty food was great, even better than the meal service, although we got a full breakfast, just no omelets because they take too long. We got to walk through a giant grassy field on a mowed path that led us to a log cabin. Holding was not well ventilated, even though they had huge fans and these weird machines with liquid and small HVAC tubes jutting out like some sort of HVAC monster. One day, we kept turning the fan towards our table, but realized that someone was turning it away from us. This went on for hours. We took turns re-turning the fan towards our table and decided we all needed to watch it to see who the guilty party was. We kept forgetting to watch, and someone kept turning it away. Then Catherine went up to examine the situation and realized that the vibration of the fan was actually causing it to turn itself. Problem solved. No guilty party found. One more thing about 
food, Catherine and I somehow got onto discussing my keto diet, and she spent the week looking at crafty food labels to determine what she could and could not eat. But then she kept caving and saying she'd start after this project ended. She was good at reading the labels to find the carb count, but I don't think she was keeping a running total of her total carb intake. I found myself talking so loudly that I had garnered an audience of eavesdroppers because at the end of day one, a guy approached me and started asking me about the diet. Then I had to explain it all to Mimi and Brandon as well. People are fascinated about it and why I choose to do it. At one point when I told Mimi how I had changed my whole body, she wanted me to take off my shirt and show her my six pack. A picture just would not do. I declined because I was in a suit. At the same time, she became delusional one day and insisted she had seen traces of tattoos running up my arms. I swore that I had only a small heart on my right bicep, which I also couldn't easily show her. But I did agree to roll up my sleeves to prove that my forearms are tattoo free. Speaking of which, Brandon is an artist and I think may be a tattoo artist because he talked at one point about practicing on quote, fake skin. Unquote. In reality, he's also in school for interior design, which spawned this whole conversation about my failed attempt to become an architect and how I now stage houses as part of my job. I always try to put people into boxes when I meet them, but he didn't fit in the one I put him in. I didn't expect a 21-year-old Mexican dude to be studying interior design. He also helps his uncle on the weekends do general contractor work. Did I mention how parental I sometimes feel when hanging out with people young enough to be my children? It's weird, but it makes me want to hurry up and have kids so I can do this for real 20 years from now. Do this for real means attending my son's wedding. This is totally out of place, but I wanted to give an update on the show I discussed in the last episode. I worked on it one day, and then it was shut down for five days because someone tested positive for COVID. Well, their contract tracers never called me, but they did call my friend Valerie. They told her to sequester for 10 days. She told them she was vaccinated. They lowered it to seven days. What a mess. I was closer to the principal actor for longer than she was, but their process is so full of holes that it's basically Swiss cheese. If I didn't mention this earlier, the principal actor came out and identified themselves after people on the call danced around the issue for 20 minutes. Long story short, contact, contact tracing appears to be a joke on these productions with one exception. The only show that seems to do it right is The Walking Dead. They give you an electronic tracer to carry around all day. That way, if someone tests positive, they know exactly who's within six feet of them and for how long. I am so stupid sometimes. The whole reason I brought up COVID again was to tell you what that particular show is now doing. They're back to the approach some companies took over a year ago with sequestering. They're now paying about $300 a day to go sit in a hotel that they're paying for. It's about $250 plus a $50 per diem. This week, it's five days. So you start with almost $1,500 and then they pay you $104 per day to film on Thursday and Friday. What a deal. I would certainly do it if I were not already booked on my current project for two more days. Heck, it's a lot more money than what they're paying me, but I don't think Sugar wants to be boarded for another five days. 
Day six of seven on my current project was a bit of a poop show, a euphemism for the S word. We arrived and got COVID tested, at which point I was told for the second time on this project that my KN95 mask was not approved and I'd have to wear one of their masks, which I knew was an inferior surgical one. I asked why. They said it was their policy, but had no logical explanation for it. I put their mask on over mine and then ripped theirs off five minutes later. If you can't explain your policy, then I'm not going to follow it, especially when it relates to a global pandemic made worse by the Delta variant. And you're telling me to replace a superior mask with an inferior one? Really? Rumors started flying as we saw a group of people whisked away that morning and later learned they had been given rapid tests in addition to the PCR one we had all just gotten. Why? Because one of the tangential actors last week tested positive and they had identified these people as being close to him. Whatever COVID safeguards are in place are just not 100% effective if we continue to have people spreading this on set more than a year after it surfaced. Anyway, the dancing group, which included me, was whisked off to set immediately without breakfast. And we filmed for five hours with no food, probably from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. I could see crew members and stunt people gobbling up Chick-fil-A sandwiches nearby, which was so inequitable. What about us? We eventually got all we could eat, so I ended up getting four of these over the rest of the day because they had a huge surplus. Two I ate with the buns and two without. It started raining in the early afternoon and was a messy, wet day thereafter. Some tropical storm named Fred was causing this. We were sure they'd let us out early and possibly cancel our seventh and last day on Tuesday, but neither of these happened. In the meantime, I had a very long conversation with this older white-haired man that I heard Winter referred to as, quote, the Bob Barker guy, unquote, earlier in the week. He has a fascinating background and life stories to tell, and even when he mentioned that he supported a lot of what Trump did as president, that didn't immediately make me vomit or disown him on the spot. I guess if you connect with a person first and then they tell you they're a Trump supporter, it's different than meeting a stranger who proclaims this right up front. One of the principals was making us laugh during the shoot, and I wasn't sure if that was the appropriate response to this fight scene. Something about us all being ugly and not wanting to have sex with any of us and her berating a person who had only 11 Instagram followers. She is a hoot. When we finally checked out just after seven, I ended up in line behind Mimi. Here is my chance. I asked if she wanted to see my tattoo and showed her the small heart I have on my right bicep. Then I pulled my shirt up and showed her the six pack, at which point she insisted on touching it, which of course caused me to tighten the muscles so it would feel harder than it really is. Today is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021, our final day on this project. Day seven was wetter than day six. My call time was 7 a.m. again, but overnight it got moved to 8.30. That's good because it meant I could get up at my normal 6 a.m. and not have to rush through my morning routine. It was pouring on the way in, but driving in the rain was better than driving in the dark and the rain. So today turned out to be a total snow day. We went through the normal processing and probably got to set around 10 a.m. 
Half of us were immediately taken to set on a shuttle to keep us dry. But then half of the half was put on set and the other half seated on the sidelines. I talked to Donna, my second dance partner, and learned all about her educational background and how she's helped disabled students get vocational training, internships, and ultimately jobs with major corporations. At one point, the director came by and all the background next to me were complimenting her on her outfits, which is when I tapped her on the leg to get her attention as she was standing next to me, just to tell her that I also was supposed to wear Basswegian penny loafers as part of my look. She had too many people talking to her at once and quickly looked away as if I were some rabid dog who needed her attention, while there were other more interesting dogs panting in her face. Oh well, 20 minutes later, our PA said we were going back to holding. And then she paid us a second visit to tell us that for safety reasons, we were all going back. I had no idea what the director was talking about. But when we got back to holding, another PA came in and said someone else's rapid test had come back positive, so they were sending us home. Wrapped. Not just for today, but all background for this episode and the season. Which means we're getting paid for a full day, not filming anything, and never coming back to film what we couldn't shoot today. Hooray! It was like a mini graduation, with everyone running around, back at check-in, exchanging phone numbers and emails. Turns out I didn't get Winter a card after all, but Andrew, one of the groomsmen, did for her and one for Slater, our wonderful other PA, who reports to Winter. Not his real name, of course. We learned that they both got promoted while on set this week. Congratulations. Here's the true educational content for this episode. Two things I learned this week about the shooting. One, a ghost pass is when they film a scene without one to two of the primary characters. So you basically film the whole scene and then you remove the person or persons and film it again, pretending that they're still there. It's a little weird, especially with action sequences because you have to pretend they're there moving as they just did. And two, second is something called a clean plate. We did a lot of plate work on Red Notice. Think of a movie as a series of dinner plates stacked one on top of the other, maybe six to 12 of them. A clean plate is similar to a ghost pass, except that they remove all people from the shot. They just film the scene, moving the cameras the exact same way at the same points in time, but with no people in the scene. I'm not sure what the purpose of this is, but they do it. So, if you've learned nothing else from this episode, you should now know what a ghost pass and clean plate are. They have nothing to do with dead people or Halloween or eating all of your vegetables. LOL, just some industry vernacular to be familiar with. Before I forget, my first dance partner was this tiny Vietnamese woman named Ming. She's about 4 foot 11 and weighs under 100 pounds, just like my mother. She has a very strong accent and is difficult to understand, but so sweet. She lives in Macon with her husband on six acres and never ever wants to cut that lawn, so he does it for her. I did get booked for Black Panther next week through Tammy Smith Casting and also submitted for a Nick Cannon Christmas movie that Becky is also working, but it's through the nine and they have never booked me on anything. I'll have to find out who booked her on this. It's Destination Casting, so I may try them as well. And I confirmed availability for another Wonder Years episode next week as a teacher. I'm actually back on The First Lady next week, block three with Eleanor Roosevelt. Yay, but I have to shave my beard and let them trim my mustache. I love me a known quantity, 
and this means I'm in all three parts of season one of this show. Watch this space. Oh, and if you're not watching The White Lotus on HBO, you really need to. It is insanely odd and funny, especially Tanya McCoy's belief that she's a tragic mess, like an onion that needs to be peeled and exposed to everyone she meets, lest they waste any precious time getting to know her. If you didn't bother to listen to the whole episode, and I'm not sure why you wouldn't, here's a recap of what I covered. And I hope you listen because I'm not going to repeat myself. A ghost passes a reshoot of a scene with one to two principals removed, while a clean plate is a reshoot of the scene with all actors removed. Think hard about accepting a multi-day job because the more you know up front, the more informed you'll be about it in the conditions before committing yourself. If the conditions are awful, speak up. Casting companies are typically open to hearing about issues on set and will do what's needed to make things better. Lightning strikes in the south can cause huge delays in filming, but they're beyond your control. Heavy rain makes a mess, so keep tabs on the weather forecast and come prepared with an umbrella and waterproof shoes. August in Atlanta is not a fun place to film outside if you're in a suit or winter gear. Well-trained PAs who love on you can really lift your spirits, so make sure you thank them for it, either verbally or with a card. Crafty food is typically off-limits due to COVID, so you have to point at what you want, but this may not be true in background holding. If you're dancing in a scene, be prepared for just 15 seconds of music, followed by no music. Know how to dance while playing the song in your head. Holding may not be as warm or cool as you like, but that's just how it is. Sometimes there's even black mold all over the ceiling, which is when your COVID mask serves double duty. And finally, given the recent Delta variant outbreaks, some companies are once again sequestering people in hotels and paying them lots of money to live in a bubble for the duration of the shoot. As you know, I can't reveal the show I just worked on, but it was incredible, and I was green with envy. If you love what you're hearing here, please rate the podcast and tell your friends. They may actually thank you for helping them out with information that helps them out.